Well, a couple of weeks ago, we, we started a series entitled Kingdom Made. And we also have a, a church-wide devotional Bible study and called Makers by Patrick Ananati. You can see it on our website and go to Right Now Media. And if you don't have an account, I hope that you get one. Um, and he just really shares a lot of things that um, complement, that come alongside of, um, that provide insights into exactly what it is that we're going through in worship, um, what we have for the last couple of weeks and will for a few more. And we started out looking at and thinking of kingdom made in terms of purpose um, and intent. Um, who is it that God made us to be? What is the purpose that we have for our lives? And thinking about what that means, mission and purpose. And, and we looked at that um, through the example of the early church in Acts 13. They understood it. They got it. And they went and were who it is that God desired them to be. And it changed the world. And so thinking about what that means in terms of being and making, intent and purpose. And then last week... We, we looked at um, how that actually gets started in the example of Jesus in Mark 3. What it is that he did is he began to, to connect with people, how he initiated relationships, and he started to build and make followers of his heavenly Father. And, and what that initially meant in terms of prayer of taking the time to see people and to pray through a relationship with them, discerning, coming alongside, and what that would mean and what that would look like. And so for us to, to do the very same thing as we think about being and making and investing in people's lives, really important things to think about. And and this week, we're going to look at a passage that's four verses long, and we're really going to look at one half of one verse intently um, and, and unpacking it and thinking about some of the how-tos. What is it that Jesus did when he made disciples, how, when he had those conversations, when he poured into people? Really something fascinating to think about. We, we see examples of it all through Scripture, but we're going to look at just that one half verse. And as we do, I, I invite you to think about that very thing. How is it that Jesus is making you? What does that look like? What does that mean? What, what are the tools that he uses? And, and when you think about you and the call that he has on your life to be, what does that mean? What does that look like? So open up your hearts as you open up the word. And the passage this morning is Mark 4. We're going to read verses 30 to 34. So here in the living and powerful word of God. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. 
And this is the word of God. Might it be opened in our hearts and understood and lived. So the context of the end of verse um, 34, which is what we're going to focus on, is that Jesus is with large crowds and he's teaching them. And and this helps us to see where where he gets to and really the truth of this passage when you understand that context. So large crowds, he's teaching them. He's teaching them about a subject that's really big, the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about it? What is the kingdom of God like? And so he he shares two parables. He's always teaching in parables, and and you you see that in verse 33. He didn't say anything about using a parable, something that is a a visual story, something they could grasp and see. And, of course, he did that a lot in agricultural terms. He does it twice here. He speaks about first in verses 26 to 29 uh, about the kingdom of God being like a seed that you plant in the ground, and then you watch it grow, and then later it produces a harvest, right? And, and so that, that's, that's what he said. That's what he shared with them. And then he continues on in verses 30 to 32 and, and says it specifically like a mustard seed, a small seed, and then one that, that, that grows as it takes root and then becomes large and big, so big that it produces a lot of different blessings. And, I mean, you could walk away with a lot of thoughts about that, I think about what he's sharing there is, is the, the, the mysteriousness, the wonder of the kingdom of God and how as, it, how as it grows in our hearts when we get it and we begin to understand it, the vastness of it in our lives and how we see all of the blessings and the fruit and the harvest that takes place in the kingdom of God. That's the, the encapsulated version And the reason that Jesus didn't go further, and you see that in verse 33, is he said he said as much as they could understand. And that's so incredibly true. Sometimes when I'm done preaching, somebody will say to me, why didn't you go further with this? Or why didn't you go further with that? And I said, well, I could have, you know, if we'd have like six hours to, you know, spend together. I mean, I could do it. Some of you might get a little irritated, but hey. It's a bad joke, but anyway. As much as they could understand, and Jesus got that. See, there's only just so far you can go in a large group, right? That's why we have smaller groups. And we understand that. We, so when you really want somebody to, to know something, explain something, what do you usually go and you talk to them privately, right? Is that not true? You think about your children, you think about friends or family. I mean, you can talk in large groups, but you need to go just so far before when you're explaining, clarity turns into chaos or confusion. And so when, when you're in a small group or when you're somebody privately, if you're talking and you're sharing and all of a sudden you see that look, right, that's, I'm lost or I don't get where you're going. You know, it, it's, it's really hard and, 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 and I see that on occasion and you, you just can't unpack that in a large group, but you can in a small group or with somebody privately. And so that, that's why Jesus did that. He didn't do it because he didn't like them. You know, he knew that there was a point where when he was sharing would become counterproductive. And so he, he shared as much as they could understand, and he did it in visual ways. Really, really powerful and wonderful to think about. But then we read what? When he was alone with his disciples, 
He explained everything. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. If you are, and I hope you are, a follower of Jesus. What does that mean? And how would that be helpful to you as a follower of Christ and then as someone who's called to be a part of that process in the hearts and the lives of others? And, And I thought about that. But what is it that when he explained everything, what is it that Jesus is doing? Who is he being in that moment? And I kind of related it to my own life in terms of when you, when you want to come alongside of somebody and you really want to go deep and you want to explain things. What happens? What takes place? What's said? What's done? And so maybe you can, can think about that, and if you drift off, that's okay. If you're, you're, you're processing that in terms of your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ or somebody that you're trying to pour into. But I, I think that when Jesus did that, he reached into a spiritual toolbox and he pulled out essential tools. And I, I thought about what those might mean and what, what they might be. What would be essential for Jesus to have that he would use and that he would use consistently? And, and I remember um, asking a friend who was um, a, a craftsman, a construction guy, did a lot of work in my house in Fremont. And I asked him one time, I just was curious. I just have a lot of questions in my head that I am, I guess, bold enough or blunt enough to ask. And so I asked him, I said, so, you know, you you do this all of the time. I said, if you could tell me, think about this, if you could tell me, I got to ask Brandon this question sometime. I said, what do you think you use the most? What are the most essential things that you have in your toolbox that you use Kind of like, what could you not do without? And he stopped and he thought about it. And he said, that's a really good question. And he shared with me two things. And so, yeah, I do have to ask you to see if you come up with a different answer. He said, one thing that is essential that I use is a tape measure. He said that for almost everything that he did, he used a tape measure. He was always measuring things and... So the tape measure, he said, I have to say that a tape measure is pretty essential. And then he didn't say this, but something like it. He said, the other thing I'd have to say that I use a lot of is a power driver. So, you know, screwdriver and whatever. He said, I use that all of the time. Those are two tools that I would say are pretty essential and that I use all of the time. So what do you think are the spiritual tools that Jesus used all of the time? Well, two of them that I would suggest to you, and again, my own opinion perhaps, based on a lot of study and and understanding and and time spent with God, are the tools of not not tape measures, and he might have want to use one of these every now and then, but um, essential tools of experience and knowing. Experience and knowing. Think about that for a moment. If he was going to explain everything about his heavenly father, if he was going to explain everything about who it is that, that they were being called to be, he had to know something, didn't he? 
And how do you know things experientially? These two things go together as they do something else that I'm going to mention in just a moment. I, I just envision that when he explained everything, he was speaking about the time that he spent with his heavenly father. See, he knew God. He knew God. And when I say that again, and I know I've said this a number of times, but it, it, it bears repeating all of the time, he, he knew him more than intellectually, see, because he, he could have spit out all kinds of facts and information about God, right? Nobody, nobody knew God better than Jesus. And so he could have shared all of these facts, all these things, all the things that I learned in all my theology classes at seminary. When I was done with all those seminary, I could tell you in terms of theology all kinds of different things about God. But I ask you, does that mean that I knew him? Well, you know the answer to that question. I mean, there are people that you know a lot of facts about, right? Maybe people that you work with, maybe people that you go to school with. And you could, you could say, well, I, I know what they do for a job. I know where they live. I know how many kids they have or if they're married or if they're not. I know this about them. I know that about them. But I ask you, do you know them? No. See, you, knowing somebody means there's an intimate and personal relationship and you know their heart. You know who they're going to be in a given situation. Why? Because you know them. You know if you say this or that, probably how they're going to respond. Why? Because you know them. When they encounter something, an issue or problem, you kind of have a sense of how they're going to navigate it. Why? Because you know them. You've had that experience of their presence in, in your life. And, and I immediately think of, of my relationship with my wife. We have 40 years we've been married. And I think by this time, and again, to prove she's really patient, right? But... I know her. She knows me. And it comes out of experience in each other's presence of being together and of having a relationship that, that's far more than just a, I, you know, see you walking down the street and see that you're driving a, a gray truck. So, so Jesus is, is using those essential tools of his knowledge and his experience of his heavenly father. And we read about that all the time, right? He withdraws, he goes, he spends time in prayer. He went into the presence of God all of the time. He knew his heavenly father in an intimate personal way maybe raising some questions or thoughts for you closely related to that in terms of knowing and presence is the essential tool of something called time perhaps the most um, essential spiritual tool in our box when we think about being and we think about making something that's so precious and so fleeting, something that we think we have a lot of and then realize maybe not so much, time. So I want to ask you, when you look at the last part of verse 34, he explained 
everything. Do you think he did that in 30 seconds? Or do you think he took the time? I think we know the answer to that. How can you explain everything in a couple of minutes? Jesus asked for a big commitment out of these guys, but he gave them one for three years. See, Jesus knew his time was short. And he poured everything he had into them. He spent waking moments, sleeping moments with them. They ate together. They walked together. They traveled together. They did things together. Everywhere, constantly, always pouring in time. Time. An essential spiritual tool that we have. You know, when I talk to that same guy that I I mentioned just a few minutes ago, and I ask him the question... You know, what are, the, what are the most important things in your toolbox? There's something about him that was, was really incredible, and I called him a craftsman, and that's because that's who he was. He was somebody that um, if, you, if you hired him to do something, you just, it's like don't hold your breath kind of thing. It was going to take a little bit. And you had to exercise a little bit of patience, but there was a reason for that because he was, I use this word, meticulous. He paid attention to detail. And you know all of the the other sayings that are contrary to that, right? Cut corners, slap together. And so when you think about that and you think about being and you think about making, and I look at those words, he explained everything. I ask you, how about you? Who, Who are you being? I mean, you know your purpose while you suck air, right? While you were given grace, and I use that saying, why you were created, why he knit you together in the first place in your mother's womb, everything about you, your physical features, your, your personality, your personhood, why you were created, why you were redeemed, why he gifted you, why he called you to be. How are you doing at that in terms of time? Would you look at your life and you think spiritually that maybe you're cutting corners or you're slapping things together? I don't know. I'm just asking. And what about the making part? And so you think about relationships. You think about people that you love and you care about. You you, you think about children. You think about beautiful little girls and what you have in your heart for them. I ask you, are you making? And how are you making? And so you think of the essence of of experience, of knowing, and you think of time. You know, our our small group, our life group, we just went through, um, as we ended our our season this year, we went through something called a a Bible study um, called the Art of Parenting. And one of the things that I, I think was crystal clear about all of that is the time that it takes to really craft and to pour in, to build into your children the truths of God and who it is that God has planned for them to be. There's no cutting corners. If you want somebody to understand and know who God and who Jesus really is in their hearts and in their lives. And it's true about being and it's true about making. So Jesus 
pulled into, poured into them and pulled out of his toolbox, the essential tool of time. Two other things, and they go together, that I just want to share with you that I would suggest. And if you think about the previous three, um, experience, knowing, and time, these two just go along hand in hand with it. And that would be the essential tools of willingness and passion. Those are so important. And so whether you're being made... Or, or you're wanting to pour into somebody, if you don't have the passion and the willingness for it, I, I can kind of guess what's going to happen. And I've sh- shared that a lot with um, people throughout the years and, and exec teams and everything too. And when we've been on search teams, said, you know what, I, experience is not a bad thing, but man, give me passion, give me willingness. Because that person is gonna, gonna step up, they're gonna grow, they're gonna, they're gonna do things that you don't ask them to do. Why? Because it's just in their heart. And if you are an employer or your boss or you have somebody that's working for you, or even if you have people who you want to come alongside of you and do things together with, so, so I'll just use this example. If you, um, and yeah, maybe I'm going to genderize a little bit, sorry, but, but if you're a woman, you want to go on a big shopping trip with friends, do you go with somebody who's like, I don't want to go, and like me? I don't want to go into that store. And you know, if I go into a store for more than five seconds, I break out into a rash, you know? Probably not. I'm probably not going to be the person you call up and say, hey, let's go shopping together. Probably because I would say no, and I would probably hang up. So, But you want to take somebody who has a lot of fun, who has passion, and who's willing to do that. There's nobody more willing to pour into people than Jesus. He had passion for it. That tied again to purpose, right? He knew what it is that God was calling him to do. He knew the time was short. He had all kinds of passion to make and to be. More than willing. And, and you, you read about that all the time. He says, I need to go about my father's business. My father has sent me to do this. He says those phrases all throughout the Gospels. And why is it? It's because he has passion for kingdom things. And he invited people to come alongside and be a part of that. And I think about that all of the time. And it's a phraseology that we're using, not that M word. Do you remember that maybe? Not, I won't say it. And for those of you that didn't know it, I'm sorry. But partners in the gospel, the privilege, think about it, to be and to make, to be a part of things greater than ourselves, things that will last forever. Doesn't that excite you? I hope so. If you're not excited, man. I don't know what shot we can give you for that. Shot of coffee, maybe. That no spiritual coffee. You get passion. And I think about that in terms of even my hearts and lives of my children. And I think about it when I, when baptism, everything, to, to know that this can be a forever thing. A forever thing. And it can change and impact the very kingdom of God, heaven. And God says, hey, you're worthy. Come on, let's be a part of this. Let's celebrate this together. Let's walk this journey together. It's incredible. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Now, Jesus had a lot of other tools in his box. He had things like maybe look like a level spiritually. 
to level people out, to give them encouragement. He had that tool. He encouraged all of the time. One of the stories I think about when I think of encouragement is when Peter got out of the boat. You remember that story? Jesus is walking to him on the water, and, and, and he calls out to him. And they say, is it you, Lord? And, and they're all shaken and afraid because it's pretty rough water. And Peter says, if it's you, I want to come out to meet you. Remember what Jesus says? Come on. How many of you would have got out of the boat? And then Peter gets out and he starts to walk. And as he starts to walk, he starts to see everything else, takes his eyes off of Jesus. What an incredible lesson. In terms of anxiety and fears and worries, keep your eyes where? And so he gets out and he sees it and then he starts to sink. And then we read right when that happens, what does Jesus do? He comes up and he grabs his hand. And I have this beautiful picture when I, when I read that story and when I think about it. I'm getting it right now. Jesus grabbing his hand, pulling him up. I don't know how far he sunk, but he grabs his hand, he pulls him up, and I think he gets face to face with him. And remember what he says? Oh, you of little faith. He says, why did you doubt? And I don't think he says it in a way that is, come on, man. I had to say that, sorry. Abrasive, rough. I think he says it in a loving, encouraging way. If only you can do it next time. I think sometimes he used sandpaper. Do you know what you use that for? I don't have any. This is my wife's toolbox because it's cuter. Maybe some of you see the big tools in it. So. But there's no sandpaper in there. But sometimes I think he used sandpaper. He needed to be a little rough and a little abrasive. And maybe you remember times when that happened as well. Feeding the 5,000. You go to Matthew 14, and they're all confused and like, what is going to happen here? All these people are here. We don't have anything to feed them, you know. And then they came up with, you know, some fish and some bread, but not nearly enough for even a couple people. Remember what Jesus tells them? Challenge, stretch. How would this be? He, he, he. He's right there again. He walks up to him. He looks him in the eye and says, you feed him. You feed him. Yeah, I could walk over there and do it too, but you get the point. You feed him. You feed him. It's another invitation, another challenge. Stretch and a challenge. Another tool. He had all kinds of them in his box, but he had essential ones. And I share them with you for you to think about in your heart and life as you seek to be a follower of Jesus and you live out your kingdom purposes. For you were made for something greater than what is. We were made for something greater than what is. And I hope that we can explore that journey together with boldness, with courage, with hearts filled with purpose and faith to be and to make. The essential tools 
of knowing and experience, of time, of passion and willingness, and all the other tools that God might lead you to pull out of your box for his glory and his honor. Kingdom made. Will you pray with me? Lord God, just a few words. He explained everything that are so deep and so meaningful. And we tried to envision and see, to get in on that conversation. And Lord, I hope it isn't too hard for us because those are the conversations that we're having with you. Well, we want to know you. We want to experience your presence. We want to go deep. We want to take the time that our hearts, that we're hungering and we're thirsting. We have that passion, that willingness to, to just let you mold and shape and, and take us to where you want us to go. And that we seize the day, the privilege of making the joy and the harvest and the blessings that it brings that not only will celebrate, but all of heaven will forever. What a thought. What a great God you are. Thank you for the invitation. Give us eyes to see and hearts to be. This we pray in your holy and precious name. Amen.